After years of helping online businesses make more money by advising them on their taxes and finances, I've now made it my mission to reach as many profitable online businesses as possible to help them save on their taxes and make more money. On my quest, I bring you proven and real profitable online business owners, and we dig into how they do it. Hello again. Thanks for being here. This is The Few, The Proud, The Profitable. This is a podcast where we talk exclusively to six and seven figure online business owners. We know that in this space, there are a lot of people who fabricate, inflate, exaggerate. So we only talk to people who have actually made money online so we can get their tips on how they really did it, not so much just them lying to us and telling them how they imagine they're going to do it. So today, we've got someone who's been very successful at that, Zach Babcock. Thanks for being here, buddy. Dude, Micah, right on. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited uh, to chop it up with you, man. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. So anyway, just to get started, tell us who you are, what you do. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah, real short, uh, from over five years in prison, from being a knucklehead in my life to uh, almost uh, six-figure-plus entrepreneur, we're like on the crack of breaking it this year. Oh, yeah, you're uh, there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, thank God it took a lot of years of bashing my head in a brick wall trying to figure it out. But, uh, yeah, yeah, man, right on. But, uh, it, it's funny, man. It's, it's, it, it's not funny. It's, it's cool, man. To have that, that experience of, you know, kind of like rubbing elbows with kind of, you know, not the, not the best people in the world or people that don't make the best decisions and seeing that extreme of low to being mm-hmm. able to rub elbows with multimillionaires every day. And stuff. it's kind of gives me a broad perspective on things as you would say. Yeah, that's awesome because like we were talking about a little bit before we started, it's just interesting to see sort of the, not the polarization, but the polar opposites of who you deal with just in the online space. You have some people (laughs) who are just amazing, other people not so much. So I can only imagine with the experience that you had of dealing with people in prison versus dealing with some of your clients, the people you deal with now, the disparity there and just the perspective that has to give you has got to be awesome. I don't even have a full concept of that. So if you want to speak to that, that would be cool. Yeah, no doubt, man. It's, uh, it really is unique, man. It's, it's cool to see like that, uh, that polar opposite, I guess you would say, you know, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, their mindset in prison is victim mentality. Everything is everybody else's fault. And I'm in here because my life's horrible and it's not because of my decision. That's like that mindset versus, you know, people I get to work with now, like they take full ownership of all the failures in their life and all the success at the same time. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, definitely, uh, unique and it's kind of cool to be able to, you know, see the psychology on, on both sides of that and really get to relate to both sides, I guess, I guess. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? Do you think it's environmental? What do you think it is that usually, obviously there's a huge distinction in those two mindsets. Do you have any concept or theory as to what leads people to those mindsets to begin with? Yeah. I mean, I'm really big on not making any excuses and taking that full ownership because when I started doing that in my life, I started, you know, seeing, seeing amazing things happen. Um, I feel like a lot of times certain people just like in prison, for example, a lot of them just aren't exposed to what's possible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's, but that's still not an excuse as to why you're going out and doing what you're doing to land yourself there in the first place. Uh, but I feel like, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to where I was exposed, even though I still chose to make the bad decisions that yeah. landed me up there. And so what I think what it all comes down to and I kind of read the, the it kind of affirmed this after reading this in uh, Robert Greene's book, Mastery. But he talks about uh, a lot of people will do drugs or put themselves in dangerous situations or play dangerous sports or, you know, things like that because they're going through the motions in life. They're not, they don't really have something that's driving them and they haven't found the creative outlet. And that's exactly what it was for me, bro. Like I used to be a, a heroin junkie, a crackhead. Like I was off on the deep end, bro. And, um, and all that was a result of I didn't have any any chief aim in life or nothing that was really driving me. And when I found that, when I went back to prison, just 20 days before my twin sons were born, when all I wanted was to be the father that I didn't have growing up, uh, I found that creative, uh, I found that that driving force, which led to me finding my creative outlets. And 
I don't even think about you. Like it doesn't even cross my mind to, to use drugs now, you know? Yeah. So, so it's weird. So your, your twins are born and that obviously gives you um, this motivation to clean up and really get rolling on everything. What was the creative outlet for you initially? Initially, it, initially it was uh network marketing for about two years and okay. funny, funny story. Uh, Micah, you couldn't even scare me off the word pyramid scheme. Cause I didn't even know what the hell it was when I got into it. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I did that for about two years. It was cool though, because it, it introduced me to, to personal development. Uh, and it, I was able to create almost $2,000 a month residual income within my first six months. So that was cool. It was a game changer for someone like me coming out of prison. But more importantly, it just showed me that I could create my life by, by design, that my past wasn't going to haunt me. So that was cool. But I, I look at it, you know, I, I no longer do it just because I didn't really like, uh, you know, I, I ended up losing my passion for it. And I'm not knocking all network marketing companies, but I was in a company where they taught you just to burn relationships, to run through people and try and get them to join your company or whatnot. And it just, that's not my style. But I'm yeah, grateful. <laughs> Yeah, and and there are some positives to network marketing. They're, they're fewer and far between, though. Even yeah. for the good ones, it's just you can make money out of it. But it's a it's a grind doing it. So oh yeah, you at all moving away from that? Yeah, exactly, dude. Um, but yeah, I just I like creating, man. I, I love. I'm I'm not the analytical driven mind person, right? I think that's the right side brain thinker. Uh if you had me trying to do like accounting or Facebook ads or system stuff, like I, I literally want to bash my head against brick walls because it's just not my, my strength. Uh, although those are ultra important in business. Right. Um, but I, 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 I get, I'm like the idea guy, the visionary, the, the like, okay, here's what we're doing. This is what we're going to go after. And then I need to also team up with the person that can help the integration side of it. Yeah. So what, obviously you do the podcast. That's a big part of what we're talking about now. What is the service you typically sell to clients when you're working with them? What, what is it that you end up creating and conceptualizing? Yeah, absolutely. So if you don't mind, can I share a story that I think your audience will really appreciate? Go for it. So dude, I I launched the podcast uh, first and foremost uh, because I was pissed because anytime I tried to collaborate with any entrepreneur, uh, nobody took me seriously. I was just that ex-convict turned entrepreneur afterthought. And nobody wanted, nobody yeah. gave me the time of day. And so I get it. You know, everybody judges. Anybody says they don't. Well, you're lying because we're li- we're literally hardwired to judge and uh, immediately form opinion of anybody and anything we come into contact with for survival instincts. Um, but I wasn't going to let that judgment keep me there. So I started the podcast, Underdog Empowerment. First and foremost, for selfish reasons to break out of that mold. You got to fill up your cup before you fill up others but also empower other underdog entrepreneurs. So we became a top rated podcast the third day. Uh, and then we started interviewing celebrities the very next week. And so I literally went from nobody wanting anything to do with me to interviewing celebrities in a week's worth of time. I'm like, Holy crap, dude. Like this is, yeah. this is insane. But I still hadn't at that time figured out the specific problem that I could solve for a specific person mm-hmm. and um, didn't have my offer dialed in. And so I was still broke as hell. Well, I had a guy that reached out to me um, through my, uh, learned about me through my podcast. And he had a program that had over a thousand successful graduates and did over 20 million in revenues. And the program was for lead gen, customer acquisition, and scaling a business. Mind you, I'm broke as hell at the time, don't know anything about any of these. And, uh, but we, we take this program, we repurpose it, and we started actually bringing people in through this program. But I felt like an imposter. I felt like one of those fake, can you cuss on your show? Or no? Hey, we, we try to avoid it. Okay, well, a good, good thing I asked. <laughs> light, light. Right, right. I felt like one of those fake guys that uh, takes yeah. pictures in front of Lamborghini saying, I can make you a million dollars overnight. I, I literally felt like that guy. Yeah. And, and that doesn't resonate with who I am and it doesn't match with my integrity. And so I literally pulled the plug on that program, made a post about it on social media, which was hard to do. I was like, hey guys, we got this program. It's got these killer results, but I haven't achieved this. I'm trying to achieve what I'm teaching by teaching it. And that's just backwards, dude. So I can't do it no more. And I pulled the plug and uh, made that post and it was tough, but it was cool because I had so many people reach out to me and like, dude, 
that was awesome, man. That was a breath of fresh air. I respect yeah. you just for doing that, you know? And uh, so that was cool, man. And that's what led to what I'm doing now with uh, helping entrepreneurs. It, you know, it's funny because sometimes when you're inside your business, you know, when you're inside the bottle, you can't read the label on the outside. And that's where I was at. I didn't know that my knowledge of podcasting was so valuable until I went out and spoke at an event and, and my buddy asked me to come up again and talk just about podcasting and everybody's eyes were lighting up. I was like, Whoa, we might have something here. Uh -huh. and, I, and I put that out. So sorry about the long winded answer. Uh, no, but, no, yeah. no, that's what we're here for. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's super cool though, that you one, you were actually getting results from it. So you could have kept going, but having the integrity to be like, you know, I haven't done this myself. I'm not, not going to do that. Not even saying you had to do that, but the fact that that's how you felt and you acted on it, it's pretty great because again, part of this podcast is a troll at the people who are just pretending. Who are doing who are, that. <laughs> and I think about, I wrote a blog article about this years back, but I was coming back from a conference and there was one girl I was sitting next to her on the plane and she had been at the conference too. And she was a coach and her whole thing, her whole niche was about teaching people how they can quit their jobs and work full time as them for them as them as for themselves as coaches. That was her whole thing is what she's selling. She worked full time as an employee for somebody else. Oh, dude. so the thing, the very thing that she was selling other people on, she hadn't accomplished herself herself. And, you would think that that disconnect would be enough for no one to buy from her, for her to realize she should be doing it, but she was. And that seems to account for I'm not going to say the majority of the people in this space, but a much higher percentage than it should be rightfully. So. Oh yeah, dude. There's so many frauds out there. It's ridiculous, man. And, and, and like you said, though, you could spot them out from a mile away that mm -hmm. disconnect there. Like you said, if they if they don't live and breathe what they're, what they're preaching, that's easy to spot out. Like, I don't know. I, I I'm with you though. I make fun of them a lot too, because just because I learned from experience of that's not the right way to go about it, man. You just, you can't skip steps, right? There's, you got to go through, there's certain milestones that you have to hit and you have to develop actual skills, uh, which actually takes real work uh, mm -hmm. to be valuable in the marketplace and the market will always determine your, your value, man. So it's like, yeah, a lot of people just don't want to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. Well, and like you said, they want to skip it. They yeah. want to either just launch a website and go out and start selling this stuff, or they do some two month course that costs 50 bucks that trained them how to do Facebook ads, coaching, whatever it is they want to do. And then they're on their way. Never yeah. mind actually testing these concepts, showing that they can actually get the results for themselves, for, for other people without charging them userous rates relative to the ROI they're going to be able to give. <laughs> um, which I get. I mean, we're all impatient. I think we're increasingly getting more impatient all the time. Yeah. You know, blames technology. That's part of it. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting more ADD and more needing stuff on demand. Yeah, I agree, man. You know, um, as you know, since we're, since we're, you know, taking a stab at, at these type, type of people, maybe, maybe you are one of them. Maybe you're listening. It's all right. If I share something that really helped me kind of get yeah, to the next level. No, completely. So dude, like I, I got, I, cause I wanted it so bad that I literally went and got a title loan on my Chrysler Aspen, which was probably, you know, not wise for a lot of people to do. And you got to really want it. And, 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 you know, it's not, the interest rates on those things aren't, aren't, aren't little, all right. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're steep. Uh, but I got it just to get into this mastermind because this guy, um, just was a beast at copywriting and, and crafting offers that, you know, were legit that people would uh -huh. actually pay for. And it ended up being a really smart move. Probably wasn't smart looking ahead of time, but looking back, it panned out. Um, but one thing I learned though was you, you see it so much that people will be making soft offers versus hard. And what I mean by that, a soft offer, you'll see somebody say like, I'll help you increase your business. Like, dude, nobody's going to buy that. All right. Like that's yeah. like, doesn't speak to anybody and there's nothing specific about it. 
versus a hard offer would be you include the benefit that they want, the vehicle in which they're going to achieve it and a time frame that they're going to achieve it in. So like for me, I, I say we help you become a top rated podcaster on iTunes so that you can raise your influence and credibility and position in the marketplace in five weeks or less. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's a specific benefit that they want and a specific time frame with a vehicle that, uh, that they're going to be using. And so when you can actually get an offer down that you, your audience actually wants and be able to communicate it and that way, dude, it, it changed the game for me, you know, and now we've added on to that, you know, multiple things like, you know, actually making a thousand dollars or more per month from your podcast or growing your podcast downloads by a thousand or more a month organically and interviewing celebrities, stuff like that. But you got to start somewhere with something that your people actually want, not what you think they want, but something right. that your audience actually yeah. wants. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times, and that's what, that's what's interesting. And one of the things we'll even talk to our clients about, and one of the things we had to realize is, and you can't do this when you're doing your offer, you have to do it through conversations or figure it out beforehand, but people would come in and initially I would just start off on the spiel of all the things we can do for you. And here's the great things and here's all we can do. And we realized that the most effective things to do would be like, okay, what are your questions? What are you looking to get from this? And what we would find is that for maybe half of the clients, the things that I was going to rattle on about, sure, they're interested in that. That's what they want. But the other half, it was things that sometimes I would never think about, or I just didn't feel like were important, but that's what they really wanted and really, whatever the need was, that's what they really wanted fulfilled. Yeah, so, dude. Like I'm saying, just being all vague about it. And there's some people I know they don't want to sell too hard on their Facebook page, but it'll just be these two sentence, real nebulous things trying to ascend to the next level. Let's talk. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, maybe you can help, but how and you know, why should I talk to you he, about it? <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, man, it, you know what? I used to be bad with that, with that self promotion thing. Like, you know, I get it, it's awkward, but mm-hmm. if we're talking internet marketing here, like exactly. you, you have to self-promote it's like yeah. there's no way around it, it it's, it's a must and and so if you I feel like if you feel that way like oh I don't want to be all salesy and stuff I feel like what that really comes down to is you don't believe enough in your own product and service and mm-hmm. that's the real core issue because if you truly believe 100% that you could deliver these amazing results uh, and help this person uh, uh, attain that with your product or service, you don't feel awkward selling them no more. Mm-hmm. Like it, then it becomes like, oh, I got to tell everybody that has ears that who listen to it that, right. that, that, that I feel like is a good fit for. It. So it, it really comes down to developing those skills, making sure that you mm-hmm. can deliver the result, and then you're ready to go, man. Uh, and, and of course, there's so much more that goes into it, but that's what you need to get it, get it off the ground. Well, yeah, and it's a, it's a process getting there, obviously, but I think most of us have gone through it where, like you said, imposter syndrome. I think about when I first started, I was charging maybe a third of what we're charging now, probably less than that. And even that price, I sort of had to be convinced, okay, you need to charge at least this much because you know, a lot of us won't feel like we have enough enough worth to to justify charging as much as we need to so if you get the experience you can get the results if you, like you're saying if you actually build up the skills the other day i had a guy where we quote him and he's like what that much and i think we're pretty reasonable i'm like yep and <laughs> that's it because we know now that that's what it's worth but if you are uncertain, if you do have some lack of confidence, then yeah, it can be a lot harder to emphatically <laughs> promote yourself. Did you have somebody like help you with that? Cause like, cause I went through the same thing. Like I was, I was charging like, dude, like probably like one fifth of what I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, and, and my mentor is like, dude, I won't work with you unless you raise your prices. You're like, yeah. that's too, you're, it's like, I get it. You want to deliver like that's no. And I was like, okay. I was like, but man, what if, you know? And like, I, it was, it was hard because you're like, you said, man, you're like, you're like, oh, I don't know. And I want to be able to, to deliver, you know, I want my, this to be awesome. But yeah, I, I had uh, somebody help me with that. Was that kind of the case with you too? Yeah. It, it started all at the very beginning again, 
it was more just like friends and family and checking the market rates around our local area. But then it got to a point where we knew we needed to do some type of price increase. And then we, so I talked to the coach we were, work, we were working with. Now we work with him all the time. But at the time we hired him just for a few hours trying to figure that out. And then we had to do it. We did another price increase a few years later, a few years later. And then um, again, after that, which is another reason we, we talk now, it's funny that we started at such a low price because talking about price now is one of the biggest things we do talking with our clients, aside from the tax planning stamp, you know, the real common things you expect. That's one of the big conversations. Are, okay. How close are you to capacity? Yeah. Really close now. You're doing well. Okay. Time for a price increase. But because, and this is the conversation that I had to have, someone had to have with me and I have to have all the time now, but people are so petrified of losing customers. And there's a, there's a bunch of different arguments for raising your prices. You deal with better clientele. You deal with the people who actually value you. You, you deal with a better class of customers in general, but just real basic math, people deck, well, some people are going to leave, some will leave. I say, okay, let's just, how many people do you think are possibly going to leave? And you do some real basic math, say, okay, you're going to do a 30% price increase. Let's say worst case scenario, 30% of your clients leave. That's unlikely, but if they did, you're making exactly the same amount of money you were before with a lot more time on your hands and you're dealing with people who actually like you and you actually like. And, but, on, and on top of that, when the people that pay the premium price are way easier to deal with. They're not, all, they're not petty about all the little stuff. <laughs> right. Well, that's what, that's what was really funny for us because when, when we first started, right now our real bottom barrel returns are 300 bucks. In the earlier days, they were even less than that. <laughs> and what was odd is you know, we've, we've got clients who are paying us tens of thousands of dollars a year. What was so weird is the clients who were just paying us these relatively huge amounts, they were so easy to deal with. They just wanted the work done. They wanted it done accurately and they wanted it done reasonably timely fashion. That was it. They left us alone. They were just so, so thankful for us. But the clients who were doing these couple hundred dollar returns, they would weirdly think that that had bought them access to us for the whole year for free. And it's just, it was so weird because it, it makes no sense on its, on its face. But the way I phrased in one article we wrote way back was something about along the lines of that they don't value you as much because the people who value you, at least in terms of your customer and business, they show you every single time they pay you. Yep. So you can kind of see how much they love you <laughs> the size of the check they're willing to write or not willing to write. Yeah, exactly. It's a perfect way to look at it. That, that speaks all like, Hey, and you know what, dude, it, it is. Isn't that weird though? It, like, cause you would think about it. You would like, well, you know, if they're paying less, they won't expect so much, but like when they're paying less, they want everything. And they're like, they're even a lot of times they'll even be complaining about, things that they have no business complaining about. Like so, right. so sometimes, you know, it's legit. Maybe you're dropping the ball somewhere and, and then, yeah, you need to get together. Sure. But, but they're, they're wanting complete access to everything versus the people that are paying top dollar. They just want what they're paying for. And if they, right. and if they get that, they're cool. They're smooth sailing and they, they, yeah. they, you hardly hear from them. And yeah, it's like, it's weird how that works. Well, I think part of it is a cup. My parents' 40th wedding anniversary was last year. And as a gift, somebody got them a few nights in the Biltmore, which is, I think it was the, it's in North Carolina and Asheville. It was the largest private residence in the entire U.S. at some point. It's huge. That's awesome. So the, it's a really, it's a really expensive hotel because now they have part of it where they still have it as a hotel and they tour and do all, they have vineyards and other stuff. But the hotel rooms at the very bottom level are 300 bucks a night. And then I think the suites can be 600, 1200. I'm sure there's some really even more private ones that are just even more stupidly expensive. <laughs> and my dad, they were having dinner one night 
And they they asked one of the servers, like, you know, so are people usually pretty nice here? Or are they are they demanding because of how expensive it is? And she looked at where they were staying, and they were staying in one of the slightly more expensive ones. And what she said was interesting. She said that the people who are staying in their suites or above ended up being really easy to deal with. It was the people who were staying in the, relatively speaking, still $300 a night, they were the ones who were really difficult. And I think what it comes down to is how much the purchase hurts. Because she gave this example of there was one couple who kept trying to say that she was their servant. Yeah, you're a servant. You need to do this. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm willing to serve you. I'm here to be of service, but I'm not your servant. Right. And their parents were not real happy about that, even though they were in the cheaper ones. But I think what it is, and this is just a theory, but I think what it is is you could imagine the people in those $300 night hotels, which is still really expensive, kind of scraping their money together, saving, doing whatever they can just to really treat themselves. So normally I'm staying in a Holiday Inn Express. I'm paying three times as much, so this had better be worth it. They needed that experience to be amazing. They needed to get everything they could out of it because it hurt to be able to buy it. Yeah. Versus someone spending 600 1200 whatever a night, they're clearly not hurting for money. They clearly right. don't care. So their expectation for that relative to their income, relative to how painful it was to buy in the, in the beginning, I think that had that's my guess as to why that has a lot to do with why the lower tier and what lower ticket customers can be so demanding sometimes. I think that's spot on, dude. I really do. I mean, it makes perfect sense if you think about it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Let's move on. So <laughs> we know that this is second question. We know you had said at the beginning that, you know, you, you've obviously had to scrape and you know, really struggle to get where you're at. So having been in a not profitable state and to where now you really are in a profitable state, what's the best part about having a profitable online business for you? Man, um, the, the, the best part, oh man, because there's so many, <laughs> you know, because I, I was there just not too long ago in the non-profitable. And yeah. I, so that's still relatively fresh in my mind. Um, I guess one of the big ones is knowing that my family's taking care of bills are paid. We're not freaking out about that. But what's, what's really cool though now is that we got a, we, we got, we, I got in people that I employ and I'm helping them, you know? And so like, that's like, not only am I helping our clients and stuff, but like, dude, I got people that I'm constantly feeding each month, feeding their family and they're taken care of because of our business, which is, which is pretty awesome. That makes me, you know, feel good about that. Um, uh, that we're able to, to do that. So that's pretty cool too. But yeah, man, there's so many things that go into it, man. Um, I would definitely say though, that, that having that, knowing that my family's taken care of first and foremost is the big mm -hmm. one for me. And then also being able to help other families too. Yeah. And you being the one who's in control of that is neat too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like we were talking about beforehand, I talked about my experiences of being an employee were generally put pretty unpleasant and, one of the most maddening parts, if not the most maddening, was the lack of control you feel over the entire situation. Versus not only are you able to do all this good for your family, for other people, but it's actually, you're in control of your own destiny there. Yeah. You know what, too, man? Another thing is exactly right. And it may, by you saying that made me think about it. Um, they say the more, I don't know, I, I guess I haven't experienced that part yet and I still have a lot to learn. Obviously, I, I always will have a lot to learn. But, you know, the, the same more money, more problems. I'm not seeing that, dude. I'm actually seeing more money, more opportunity because <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm able to do more now. Yeah, I have more responsibility now, um, but I'm also have, I have more freedom uh, because I'm able to, to hire out the help that, that I need with the right people. And then now I'm able to really pursue more of my, my, like, I hate using the word your life, per, your life's purpose, because so many people are so cheesy yeah. with it. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and like, 
you know, it, it's cool if you're really serious about it, but like you got some fake people on the internet, dude, and you're, you read right through and like, dude, you don't really care about that. You're just trying to play this vulnerability card and whatever. But, um, but it's giving weird faux altruism where I'm doing this for insert group that everybody loves. Like it's not about the money. I'm doing it for this. Like, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Blasting this on Facebook 10 times a day. <laughs> for your own benefit. Exactly, dude. That's that. Those are the people I can't stand. Like, let's be for real, man. Um, you're in it first and foremost for yourself and you should be, and that's everybody yeah. should be. You got to fill up your own cup before you can fill up others. There's nothing wrong with wanting to help other people, but if you're playing that card, like, Oh, I'm so selfless. That's a lie. We're selfish creatures by default, dude. You know, but, uh, be real. If you weren't so selfless, you wouldn't feel the need to post about it. Exactly. <laughs> Virtue signaling and stuff, man. Come on now. But, uh, yeah, I think that's funny, but yeah, it's, it's really cool though. Cause it gives me, the opportunity now and this is crazy but uh my and this could change in a few months you know but my 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 quote-unquote life's purpose has grown and evolved over time uh, but right now dude the the there's people that put themselves in jail they did that to themselves first and foremost i take full responsibility for everything i ever did but the judicial judicial system is broken look at the recidivism rate it's not working dude and the resources haven't gone through it myself they're just it's crap it's it's like a waste of time it doesn't even help you and it just well, you look it, at other countries we don't have they don't have those recidivism rates they don't yeah. I mean, it's clearly just based on statistics here we're doing something wrong yeah exactly you look at it i can't remember like uh switzerland or or netherlands yeah, netherlands one of the nordic countries i can't remember which one yeah, it's ridiculous. So here's the deal. The system that they have, it's designed for one, if you get a con a felony conviction, it's a X on your record for the rest of your life and it follows you around. You can't get jobs for now for now on. Over and it could have been over something silly that you did when you were a kid. Now, granted, a lot of people deserve uh what they get. There there's certain crimes that I just don't I like child yeah, molestation sure. there are, there are and stuff like that. Ones that you don't, yeah. yeah. But like if you if you were like like drunk and like caused a ruckus and stuff one night when you're 19 years old or something yeah. and now you know like you can learn from that and that should be forgiven if you if you rip if you you know make up for it. But um, anyways, long story short though, so and and now it's, you can't get a job when you're coming out and then the 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 system's designed to keep you dependent on the system, welfare, food stamps, assisted living. Like that's not that's not helping you. That's teaching you to be dependent on the system instead of teaching you actual practical life skills like communication, entrepreneurship, market, whatever it could be, uh, how, to, how to set and achieve goals, you know? Well, anyways, uh, long story short, now this business is giving me the opportunity to where, you know, I, I see this problem and that I want to wanna, wanna fix where we give convicted felons, not all, but the ones that were like me that, that were serious about changing their life around, uh, give them jobs at our agency. And now they start learning online marketing. They have a job. They're able to provide for themselves and their, and, and their family. And then they also have to read certain books and go through programs that are going to help build their character and work, you know, personal development. And then for the guys that are cut out to be entrepreneurs, boom, they'll be able to fly out the nest. They won't need us for long. Uh, mm -hmm. And then for the ones that aren't, you know, they'll be able to continue work for us. We'll give them pay raises and they'll have uh, stability or whatnot. And, so the goal, the ultimate goal is 9% or lower recidivism rate nationwide. I know it's a crazy, humongous, like, no way you're going to be able to accomplish that goal. But that's our goal, and we're sticking to it. And, uh, and I'm able to shoot high. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's what, you know, being able to, you know, having positive cash flow in the business been able to allow me to pursue that, you know. And, and it, you know, it just it gives you that freedom to be able to go out and actually make a difference. Yeah. Well, it's like you said at the beginning of that, that you know, more money, more problems and the idea of it can, I think it's all relative to your perspective and how you view the money. Right. Because if you're like a, a dragon who's just like hoarding it in your cave and you're really worried about it and you've just got this love of the money itself, then that's going to chain you. That's going to chain your behavior. Your, it's all you're going to be thinking about is either making more or losing it. But if you're viewing that as a tool to accomplish whatever your goals are, freedom, helping other people out, whatever, 
then yeah, you've got a lot more opportunity with money than you would is if you were avoiding it or just didn't have it. Amen. Absolutely, man. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. So again, this is something you can speak to on, on both sides here. One of the things we work with our clients a lot on, one of the things we hear is a struggle for online business owners is cash flow. So how do you manage that? How have you successfully been able to navigate that? Absolutely, bro. So to give you context to my business, uh, I'm very beginner type, uh, just breaking free of breaking that cash flow problem. Um, and in my opinion, um, a real business does paid advertising and we're not doing paid advertising yet, but I feel like if you're really in business, you need to be doing paid advertising. If you have a proven offer or whatnot, and this is our next step that we're moving into, but we're not currently doing that yet. Um, how I've been able to manage the cash flow is was first finding out how to craft a hard offer versus soft offer, like we talked about earlier, yeah. and a proven offer that the marketplace has shown that it's a it's it's a solid offer that people want. So once you got that, so find and I'm and I'm trying to speak to someone that maybe hasn't figured this out yet, or or I don't know if that if, if that'd be good good to talk yeah, about, but um, but um. What I did with mine is, all right, so people that start up a podcast and they get the consulting, whether it's in a group or one-on-one -on -one format, um, they won't need me for very long. Like there's only so much I could teach them about podcasting, right? Yeah. And how, how to do, how, how to achieve those, those four different results. So I also found a problem that I faced myself having, I wasn't growing for like the first 10 months. Uh, uh, numbers wise of uh, can adding more downloads because I was the one that was producing my podcast and it eats yeah. up so much of your time and having knowing that's a problem and also knowing how to do it. I built an agency around it to where we, we produce our, our podcasters uh, podcast for them. And, and it's an ongoing monthly thing to where that's, you know, reoccurring revenue, which was, yeah. Oh my God, dude, if you don't have reoccurring revenue in your business, you need it because because having to go out each month and 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 kill each month to, to to bring food on the table is i mean you know if you unless you like living like that it's 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 nice to have something coming in each month and so maybe you can find a skill develop a skill and something that's valuable that will help save your clients time uh and also get you know gives them more time to go out and build their business and focus on what they need to focus on versus the admin tasks that could be delegated. Not, it's not the 80, 20. And so offer that as a, a, a service. And so that way you have recurring uh, revenue coming in. That's one way that we've been able to manage it and be able to uh, be able to do good so far this year. Uh, but yeah, definitely once you have that proven offer and you have that reoccurring revenue coming, I think like the next step for you is to get your paid advertising dialed in so that you can turn on a button and leads are consistently coming in to where you don't have to go out uh, constantly making offers on your social media or whatnot. Yeah, that's just not, I won't say it's not sustainable because I'm, people do make money just with one off offers, but that's a miserable way to exist. And yeah. it's also why most people either have some sort of recurring revenue offer, or if they don't, they've got some real heavy ascension, which a lot of times those ascensions are also recurring. It's not like they expire at the, at the very end because this community is global, but it's still relatively tight knit to where you've only got, you've got a finite number of qualified leads for a lot of the services you're going to be offering. I think that's true, true for most of us. So if all you're doing is just churning through and you've got no recurring, no sense, you don't have anything, you're just getting that initial bit from them, then uh, that's a tough way to live. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It really is, man. And, and having that reoccurring coming in and a service that we're, especially if your retention is rates are pretty high, man, that's, mm -hmm. it's a great place to be. Well, and it also makes what you're saying also in that where it allows you to offload the non-value added tasks that you might be doing, knowing that that revenue is coming in, being able to count on it makes it easier to offload some of the stuff that isn't really helpful to your cause versus if you've got to do 
some really heavy offers or you have to do a new launch or whatever and just hope it goes well, committing that money for people doing your editing for you, doing general admin tasks, doing paid ads, whatever, it's hard to commit that if you don't have a, that buffer and that clean idea of, okay, we at least have this much hitting every single month from our recurring offers. Amen. Absolutely, yeah. bro. All right. Cool, man. So number four is in a couple minutes, we, we've given some tips and we've been talking about a lot of stuff, but give us your big tip that every online business owner should know. Mm. All right. So on, so since we're rolling with the online business owner, uh, this is going to go for personal branding. Um, and so we're talking about personal branding. All right. So you got company brands, like the largest brands in the world, like Apple, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, uh, shoot, uh, you know, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, whatever these, these huge brands, Walmart, they can go and create this customer avatar, this imaginary customer avatar, and they could be the ideal to that avatar because they're a company and they can be whatever they need to be to that specific avatar, right? But when we're talking about personal branding and the keyword here being personal, you can't just create this imaginary avatar mm -hmm. and then be the ideal to that avatar if it doesn't align with who you really are. Right. So, yeah. So what I learned through the school of hard knocks and is to not try and like, Oh, my, my ideal client is a 35 year old male. He has three kids and he lives in blah, 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 blah. That doesn't matter. Like if, if you, yeah, if you got a company brand and yeah, and you sell a specific product and you know, those things might matter and you're selling like t-shirts that are like, like, or if you're selling like hormone pills or whatever, you know, like obviously then that stuff matters. But like, if we're talking about personal branding online and you're building a personal brand, you don't figure out who you are and, and where you were and then be the ideal to who you were yesterday or who you were when you first started out and anywhere in between from who you were yesterday when you first started out. And that's how you win in that realm. Uh, I, once I started doing that, man, dude, when I launched underdog empowerment, it, it started blowing up because it was, I wasn't trying to speak to some imaginary right. avatar underdog empowerment that the, here's how we classify underdog entrepreneurs. Anybody with a grandiose vision, regardless of where you're at in your business, whether you're big balling or you're just starting out, you have these lofty goals, but everybody's counting you out. Nobody's taking you seriously. They're even possibly even laughing at you, but none of that matters because you are committed to leveling up and to winning and getting that respect you crave. Like when you have the psychographics dialed in and know your own psychographics, and then you speak to that person, you're going to attract those people. And that's how you really win. Uh, with personal branding. So quit trying to quit trying to market to everyone or market to like yeah. this weird avatar and just figure out who you are and how you can help that person get to where you're at. Well, yeah. And people, I mean, people can see whether you're being authentic or inauthentic really quickly. Yeah. I think about, I mean, this goes back to when I was 16 years old, I was working at Starbucks <laughs> and I had this manager and he was just, he was a jerk. But it, Starbucks culture was just say yes and the cu customer's always right and just have a can-do attitude. So this guy who was kind of naturally a jerk tried to put on this facade of you know, being super friendly and positive and cheerful. And I always remember one of my coworkers talking about him and she said, you know, Wesley, he's a douche. But I think he would be a likable douche if he would just <laughs> act like the person he actually is. But because he was trying so hard to hide his true persona and then sort of like superimpose this different mask on, it just came across as so disingenuous that the bad parts of him shone through, but the redeeming parts, which I'm sure there were, those are the parts that, that got obfuscated. Yeah. I think dude. people can tell. 100%, dude. I mean, our, our BS meters are pretty spot on. You know, yeah. you, could, you could tell if someone's being fake and if someone's being real, man. And, mm -hmm. and, and just kind of piggyback what you're talking about. Um, we all, 
we all have dark thoughts, emotions, and desires. We're human beings. It's literally impossible not to have them. There, there are times where a thought runs in your head where like, I want to throat punch this person standing across from me. Like it just happens. All right. (laughs) And you get angry, you get mad, you get like, you you know, it it happens. Um, But the way society and, and it's for good reasons because a society that allowed rape and murder and all these horrible things would not be a great society to live in. But, at the end of the day, we're all secretly failing to meet society's standards because there's no such thing as the ideal human being. But if you can incorporate these dark thoughts, emotions, and desires with the rest of your persona, that's probably the best way from preventing these things from actualizing themselves. You know, when you incorporate it, and Carl Jung talks a lot about this. Um, he's the one that, that coined the, the, the shadow. And you know, cause everybody's so consciously trying to suppress the, you know, these and, and push it down below the subconscious. But the thing is, dude, there's no way to do that. Like it, it, it's coming out. Like you ever have it where somebody like says something like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. No, that's your real self coming through when you said that, you know, like when, when somebody's like drunk or whatever, and they're like, they're like telling yeah, you how they what, really feel. What, what's the phrase they talk about? Like, when you're drunk, sober thoughts come out, or there's something along the, those lines. I can't yeah, I know what, what you're is, talking though. about. I don't remember the same. Yeah, exactly, dude. It's it's your real self showing through whenever you get like like you stub your toe and you're like mother or whatever, and like that's yeah, your real your self. Your inhibitions coming. all well. It's kind of like how Alzheimer's patients, you know, they'll have it to where certain parts of their personality that were completely masked before. You know, you're the, the layers of the onion are getting peeled away and you just start to have more of what you're, you are at your core because the, those inhibitions start to, to go away and we don't have, they don't have the presence of mind to stop themselves from saying the things that they know they probably shouldn't. Yeah, exactly, dude. And so I'm not saying going around, go around and be like this dark person, but I, what I'm saying is, use your dark side because we all have one for good things and what i mean by that look at anybody that's ever achieved anything of significance they all have a dark side that they use to achieve in a good way like dude when i get when i used to play football when i stepped on that football field i was a completely different person i went to that dark side and i was we're trying to defeat the enemy and we're coming together as a team as for a common goal to win a championship and, and that was cool because we built camaraderie and we've learned about responsibility and, and uh, all these, these great things, right? And so you, you can use that anger, that aggression, uh, whatever it is, and you can channel it into something good to prote- propel yourself forward like I did with underdog empowerment. I was pissed off that nobody was taking me seriously and nobody wanted to collaborate with me. And so I created this platform that now empowers other underdog entrepreneurs, and I use that anger and frustration to push myself forward, and now it's helped so many other people in the process. So mm-hmm. instead of being fake and acting like you're positive all the time, if you if you act like you're positive all the time, I don't trust you. And, I, and, yeah. and those those are the people you got to watch out for the most. Those are people that will do the most deceptive and most horrible things um, and have the largest dark side because they're constantly suppressing that shadow and they're not incorporating it with the rest of the persona. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We kind of went down a rabbit hole there. But <laughs> no, but no it's, it's true, though. It makes sense because I don't know if you can call it exactly a dark side, but you look at most artists and musicians where – not only have most great art works of art, I think they're done during manic phases of people who are bipolar <laughs> this huge percentage of the time, but it'll be people who have either had tra- real tragedy in their lives or they have some sort of dark side. And that's what is a portion of what's able to inspire them to be able to create these masterpieces. But there's some amount of integration and acceptance of that versus just like you're saying, just shoving it down. It's not really doing yourself a favor and people can see through it pretty quickly. So what you're trying to even portray isn't being accomplished. Yeah, absolutely dude. All right, cool, man. So last question, one of two things, either what's the craziest tactic you've seen to sell something online or what's the craziest thing you've seen sold online? I would say, uh, people, the people that, that, that get rented Lamborghinis and 
in, in Airbnbs and whatever. And they, yeah. they're, they're pretending that they're this guru on the mountain that's made all this money and, and they're still working for somebody else and haven't done a dime. And, and then they're selling that. And then, you know, certain people are going to fall for that because they're just, they don't know what they don't know yet. And so I just think that's, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and they, and I, and I, I love that people expose those people because it's wrong to, to be, a, you're being a scam, you know, whenever mm-hmm. you're doing stuff like that. So, yeah. And not only is it duplicitous, but it kind of goes to what we were talking about at some point earlier, but who the customers you actually want to work with. Okay, cool. You're either getting all these Facebook likes or you might even fool some of these people into buying from you. But if you're able to fool them, are they really the caliber of clientele you really want to be working with to begin right. with? And what kind of reputation are you building? You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> and eventually it, some people, unfortunately, it seems like are able to use that scammer time to actually either build up their skills, build up their business, and then they actually do become semi-legitimate. But most people, that comes back to bite you. For the majority of people, you got to pay the piper eventually. (laughs) And people are going to find you out and you lose your reputation. And again, being patient is harder. Actually going through the real motions to build yourself up slowly is more difficult. But you actually have something that's rock solid versus some, you know, little like I'm trying a Jenga tower as your foundation. (laughs) A lot different. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. It always pays to do the, it's not the sexy answer, man, but it always pays to actually take the time to develop the skill because then you build a real foundation instead of that Jenga tower. That's going to fall, come crumbling down at first yeah. person that throws a rock at it. Right. All right. Awesome, man. Again, that's all we have. So thank you so much for being here again. If people want to reach out to you, if they're looking to work with you, contact you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, dude, really? because we don't always have offers open really the best way, man, I'm just really passionate about the podcast. And you know, if you guys enjoyed this interview, come check out underdog empowerment. It's literally on any podcast. Well, almost any podcast platform that you listen to podcasts on, but to make it really simple for you, you can just go to underdogempowerment.com. right there on the front page. We got a little button that says subscribe to the podcast. You could choose whichever platform. Uh, Hope to see you guys there. And uh, Micah, dude, thank you so much for having me on the show, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, man, had a blast. To everyone watching, thanks again for being here. We'll catch y'all next time.